So let's look at verse 1. It says, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly and carnal. Please note that Paul, I believe, is speaking about the first time he was with the Corinthians. He was speaking of when he came to them and he led them to Christ. And then there were babes in Christ at that point of salvation. They were mere infants. But he says, you're still infants in his phrasing. You're still worldly, other translations say. You're still like the Corinthian culture around you. See, when these Corinthians were first converted, many of them were in a terrible state. They were broken. They were that bride with the um, self-harming scars and tattoos, but they hadn't progressed out of that. They'd never allowed the healing balm of the truth of the gospel transform them. Some Christians get saved, and they think initially that they're going to live just as they lived before, I think. I think there's a lot of people like that, and we have sympathy towards that, but that's not what Christ came to create in people. And when Paul first ministered to these believers in Corinth, he realized that the process of sanctification had already started, and that there was a long road ahead for them. We've talked about that today in the gracious message. They had not yet naturally developed the way that the Holy Spirit would develop them one day. So I want you to see this, that when they first were converted, they didn't know everything about salvation. It's good to know that, isn't it? They didn't know anything, everything about the spiritual journey that they'd go on. They brought much baggage to the table, which is what the prophetic brought out this morning, the church with baggage. They, the church today didn't know what I was going to teach on, but yet the Lord by his spirit showed that the church, possibly our church, still has baggage, still has brokenness, still has the scars, still has the tattoo. Nothing against, I'm not having to go at people with tattoos, but the church is not what the bride will be. And this is where we are with Paul is zealous for the change. And so he's saying, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And indeed, regrettably, and it's the word still, you're still not ready for it. He's trying to provoke them. Like a baby, like a baby would choke on solid foods. You know that, those of you who've had babies, if it was fed from birth. All that you can feed babies with is that which they're able to receive and digest. Simple, basic truths of God's word. And, and if you're wondering why I'm reading, I've got eight pages of notes. And I don't want to go off at a tangent because I can easily do that. So that's why my head's down. I'm trying to get through the material. I normally preach and extemporize. But I, if I can only get through verse two, please bear with me. This truth needs to come out. They were not ready for anything else, and this is their lesson right away, because there are many people that I see coming in and out of this church over the years that I've been pastoring it. They get taken up with a particular doctrine, a particular idea, the intricacies of end times prophecies, how that relates to the world we live in now, particular diets or food laws that you know press upon you. If you, if you, you eat this food, you'll be healed of cancer, because the Bible says, and they put it on particular believers. I'm sorry to draw it, forgive me if that offends anyone. But the, these are the particular things that people have got fascinated with in our church, and it's just not the central and important truths of the gospel. And so people get lost in fascinating teachings, and they never really go on to maturity because they're obsessive about things that are not important. Do you see the illustration of a baby that likes the box rather than the toy? Right? And so getting obsessed with particular teachings, nothing wrong with enjoying those um, journeys into, into teachings, but to press them on the church as being the all-important thing away from the cross misses what Paul is teaching about spiritual maturity. The tragedy I have to say is that when people get obsessed with peripheral things, which we mentioned in previous teaching, is that they usually end up backslidden at some point. 
because peripheral teachings don't satisfy the church. Only Jesus satisfies. And so we've got to keep the main thing, the main thing. You see, these Corinthians were all converted, but they weren't ready for anything else of strength. And Paul is still having to lay the basic ABCs of the Gospels. Paul essentially saying is, and I, and I put my words in there, I, I don't care how you look at it, if you don't know the ABCs and live by the central truths of the Gospel, this is abnormal. It's just like a little child that's never matured, never grown up. But it's more than that. It's something that's not genetic or the challenge that that brings to parents. And it's not even forced on them by another. It's voluntary. It's a choice. Ed Lewis Cole's words, we choose to grow, has to be embraced. It's a very simple way of saying You can only grow as a Christian through the product of knowledge of the truth in the Bible, pursuit of prayer intimacy with the Lord, the product of trials in your life and persevering when trials come upon your life, so human suffering and still believing, and then you go on to maturity by getting through those hurdles, and also the presence of Holy Spirit in your life. This is how a Christian matures. We don't arrive there into, into the church as, as fully grown adults, but the only way to mature is to choose to grow and invest in Bible study, prayer, and a journey of intimacy of worship with the Lord till we get to know the God of the Bible. So when I was studying theology at university, I didn't do it to get another set of letters after my name or to get a degree or to to stand in the limelight and say, I've got the knowledge and here's the knowledge. I did it to pursue intimacy with the Lord. So theology was a pursuit of theos. I want to know God. I want to know God and I want to make him known. I don't care how much I know because what I know is not maturity. Okay? So, so, So there are a lot of Christians, they know a lot of things about the Bible, about theology. They could teach the flock. But true Christian maturity is how does that knowledge of biblical truth and theology affect your intimacy with Jesus? How does that knowledge of biblical truth and theology help you to do what Jesus did? How does that knowledge of biblical truth and theology affect those around you that see your life and see Jesus in your life and get saved through your, your witness. Do you see what I'm saying? So there's a lot of people who, they know stuff, but the, the stuff they know hasn't changed them. And this is why, like, the last few days when I'm talking to my son, there's this insatiable desire in him to grow. At the moment, I hope he never loses that. There's a hunger for the truth. So last night, we're jumping in Revelation 18, 1 Corinthians 3, Matthew's Gospel, bouncing around, saying, but what about, and he's flicking through the Bible with me, sat on the sofa. It's half 11, I want to go to bed. And he's hungry, hungry to know the truth. He said, but dad, the Bible's quite clear. If you confess to him about Jesus Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But what's this? And he flicks to Revelation. He says, everyone will be judged. Everyone will give an account to God. What about this in 1 Corinthians 3, where some will be given rewards and some won't be given any rewards? And what about these? About the... And I'm like, oh, Lord, here we go. <laughs> but what I mean is, I'm not trying to promote my son before you, but what I'm saying is, that's, a, that's, that's what maturity is. Maturity is desiring to take the knowledge from Scripture and allow it to change the way you think and actually change your life. And so I want to encourage you to, and and to do it gently, to assess your life, not to say how much do I know compared to person X, but how much of what you know impacts on your journey as a Christian, impacts on how much you know the Lord, and how much people know the Lord through your life. 
I know this is challenging, but this is what Paul's teaching. Because it says that they had all knowledge and all power. And they understood the biblical truths of the gospel, but they were not mature in Paul's eyes. Last week there were, that I preached, there were, there were two camps, saved and unsaved, saved and lost. This one is carnal and spiritual. It's different. It's within the church. Young Christians don't become spiritual instantaneously. They have to choose to grow. Now, although it takes a little bit of time to mature to become spiritual believers, to grow from being babies to adult Christians, it doesn't take as long as many of us think to mature. It doesn't take as long as some of us think it should ought to take. So often we look at chronological age and we look at people's journey and we think, well, they've got to be the mature Christians. To use James's epistle, the word elders in James and, and to a degree in Titus speaks not of elders in terms of position and governance, but in terms of chronological age, teaching the younger ones how to pray and, fe- and, and exhibit spiritual traits. And so let the older ladies teach the younger ladies let, do, you know, do you know the language of the New Testament? And so you've got this sense of chronological age should naturally teach those who are new in the faith. But in a sense, that kind of misses the point that sometimes chronological age and knowledge of the text will not birth in someone an intimacy with God that can be translated to another disciple so that they too will live an intimate life with Jesus. It's just knowledge. You, do you understand what I'm trying to, trying to say? And so... Maturity is this, not me, the guy on the left. So when, when I met Todd White in America and we did some street evangelism together, he made me feel like I was backslidden. Now bear in mind, I'm a minister at that stage. This guy, five years before, was a drug dealer. And so the short of the story is, with an automatic weapon... Somebody sprayed him for taking the drugs and the money for the drugs. So that's going to make a drug dealer pretty cross. You don't just take, take the, the drugs, you take the money that you should have got for giving them the drugs. And so he's sprayed with an automatic weapon in a point that he should be dead. But believe it or not, and I believe it because I've met the guy, Jesus stopped him getting shot and came to him and said, I took the bullet for you, I protected you from that. I put my life down for you. I want you to live your life for me. Now, some of you will be thinking, that's a crazy story. It's not true. Jesus didn't take a bullet for Todd White. But the Lord showed Todd White that he had to give his life entirely for Jesus as Jesus laid his life down for him. And on that journey, Todd feels he'll eventually have to be martyred for Jesus because someone's not going to like all the things he's doing. He's a very sold-out person. But I got with this guy... And I'm seeing two, two, two traits burning out of the guy's life. One of them is love, and one of them is power. And so in this small subculture, tiny pond of a church, compared to the global work of the Lord, I'm known to be someone who hears the voice of Lord, the Lord moves in a word of knowledge. I get next to this, this guy, and I'm following him like a baby. I've been saved kind of at that point about 30, 35 years. He's five years in the faith. He might have even been less, three to five years. He's recently saved. And I'm following him around trying to learn again like I'm at primary school. And, he's got, and, and, I'm, and I'm saying things like, how, how do you do that? How do you, like, that's hot lines to heaven stuff, Todd. What are you doing there? Tell me what you're doing. I'm trying to learn in the moment. 
and he said, and one of the things that sticks with me, and he told me many things, was I'm just more aware of the people around me than I am of myself. Do you see the, the profound spiritual implications of that phrase? That's selfless. That's like Jesus was. Todd's dead, Jesus is living through him. He's looking at the people, and he goes over to this shopping mall policeman. You know, they have the badge and the, you know, the mall cop or whatever it is. Read his mail, every bit of his life. Impact. I'm stood there just observing this. As everywhere he goes, he cracks open gospel opportunities. Todd, how, how, how on earth do you do that? Daniel Kalender, the head of CFAM, went out with him to a restaurant. And it was a big, posh restaurant, very expensive meals. Todd's really special guy in the Lord. And it just turned into a church service. And Daniel said in front of 100 of the best evangelists, I don't know why I was there, but there's 100 of the best evangelists globally um, in this place. And Daniel said, I lead CFAM, but I can't do what Todd did. And literally the whole restaurant was turned over to a gospel meeting. As he, waitress after waitress, he just read her mail, she got a back heel, da-da-da-da-da, preached the gospel. All, all, well, this is a gift of an evangelist, we know that, and we don't all have to be like Todd White. But I'm not so bothered about his giftedness, I'm bothered about his traits of love and power that came from intimacy. And what I'm trying, the point I'm trying to press over to you is there's a man who understands maturity. I was 30 years ahead of him in the faith, and he was mature, more mature than me in the Lord. Because yeah. maturity looks like Jesus. And so I'm like, man, I've got to grow. I'm not there yet. You know, you're not, but when you see someone further ahead, it shouldn't be jealousy. That's, again, a sign of immaturity. It's where quarrels come from, or criticism, or electioneering, you know, a leader that needs to be popular, or being more obsessed with one leader than another. All of those things create division, but the secure people who really are dead people walking, who are more aware of other people than themselves, that's Jesus, isn't it? Don't know about you, but just, just listening to, to that guy speak and listening to his example, I'm thinking, I've got to grow. But Ed Lewis Cole, in his book, Strong in Tough Times, as I said before, said, growth is a choice. We choose to grow. We choose to pursue the Lord. We choose to have an insatiable desire for Jesus and his word. We choose to grow. It's challenging stuff, isn't it? Simple but challenging. Listen, let me just say something. I'll read it out to you. Jesus didn't just die for you on the cross to save you or me from the penalty of sin. But he shed his blood to save us and deliver us and emancipate us from the power of sin in our lives. So that we could become conquerors like this guy is and reign with him in life. He died that we might have removed from our lives all the hindrances of the Spirit's power and all the effectiveness, is effectiveness of our testimony. It's sad to find today Christians who have achieved no progress year after year. The tragedy, even decade after decade, 40, 50, 60 years, no change. But the Bible teaches us we should go from glory to glory. I think of Leonard Ravenhill 
in his book, The Jet Propelled, in his book, Why Revival Towers, he talks about the jet propelled fellow. He says, what is the secret of the jet propelled fellow? There's someone who's just suddenly lit up. And Leonard Ravenhill, the revivalist, says, it's literally that they've had Jacob-like wrestlings with God and come out stripped of themselves and strengthened with Holy Ghost power. It's a brilliant book if you've not read it. Why Revival Tarries? We'll try and bring it to a close fairly soon for the sake of time. It's not, this is normal for Paul. This is natural. And so if we've got a perspective that the jet-propelled fellow or lady is someone who's quote-unquote on fire, we, we use phrases like that, and it's really unhelpful to say that person is on fire for God. I do it, and you do it. We say that. How about that being the norm? Jonathan Conrath wrote a book called Radical Christianity. The word radical means return to the root. The root of Christianity is a church, like the early church, that were ablaze, like those who went out everywhere and preached the gospel, and were aware of the concern for the lost beyond them. So I don't know about you, but I, I want an insatiable passion for Jesus. I don't want to be another George Dawes. I don't want to know all the truth but live out none of it. I know you must allow the balm of what the Spirit was saying in this moment. It's okay to not be there, but it's not okay to sit there. And the Jesus who comes to the girl in the Doc Martins with the tattoos and the, her self-harming, that's the church in Angela's imagery, she still needs to get up with her bridegroom and address those issues. So there's acceptance in God, but we often hear God loves us as we are, but loves us too much to leave us where we are. And so the short of this message, and I will finish early, I will finish now, because you've heard the message, and I don't need to extend on the message, is that we have to choose to grow We have to choose to be like Jesus and that is personal investment in the pursuit of Christ himself in his word and by spirit and recognize that performance is not what God's looking at. He's looking at transformation over time as we consistently and purposely go after Jesus. And if you're somebody who has settled today, I don't mean to hurt you, discourage you, criticize you or crush you but allow the word of God in first Corinthians 3 for me and for you to challenge us to be a little ruffled in our feathers by God to go away into our own private spaces and say well where am I up to what are my habits like what are my hurts what are my hang-ups like what are my relationships like what's my physical health like because by the way looking after I'm speaking I'm preaching to myself now I need to look after my physical health because who else will do it but me? But might be honest with the church, my diet's often off, my exercise is often off. Do you hear what I'm saying? So it's whole life care by God. God loves you. God cares about your life. And the most loving thing he can do for your life is make you continue to grow to be more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.